long play. V reset to I left wing, U flex, fullback right, halfback Q8, crunch right, flex wide counter. Bone, deep key left, boundary. I right west, squeeze, U left, toss 99 bust. Six jet, Frisco, halfback chip, slow screen right, dynamite, fullback follow on ducks, on ducks right. We're going to be looking for big plays all game long from Tyrol Smoochie Wallace. And let's not forget the tight ends. Brandon Rush and Jeff Lyons. This is Three Point Stance Magazine. Hello and welcome to another edition of Three Point Stance Magazine. Alongside Jeff Lyons, I am Brandon Rush. Previewing week three of the college slate and week two of the NFL. Luckily, though, we're not hurt. Um, they're, they're Jeff, uh, one of the bigger stories to come out of NFL Week One, and, and really in some big cases in 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 the college game, there's there's a, a rash of injuries going around, and and hopefully this doesn't derail some teams' championship hopes. But that that may be that may be too late to hope that. Well, you know my. My uh, lower lumbar is bothering me a little bit, oh, but uh, oh. I, I, I think I can fight through it and, you know, do this show without any problem. That's a good. I'm glad you're a trooper. Yeah, I'm trying. You know, this is these are the things I do for uh, Three Point Stance Magazine is I suck it up, do shows injured. I have to go to Michigan State versus Oregon. I just have a really rough, tough life right now. I mean, I don't know how you do it. But seriously, uh, injuries, I mean, obviously the, the big ones, uh, or at least the biggest in the NFL, may be Des Bryant. Broken bone in the foot, uh, already had surgery, and is, depending on the report, you believe, anywhere from six to ten weeks? Yeah, and the funny thing was is that Des is like adamant and fighting back and saying it's not going to be that long and he'll keep people updated, don't listen to the media. You know, we really haven't seen that yet in today's age where the players are kind of fighting with the media via social media, um, giving them the proper updates and everything. I guess that's one of the things that if Dez does come back sooner and plays fine, now let's say he comes back sooner, gets injured, then there'll be a bunch of questions. But if he does come back sooner, then you really got to start scratching your head on media reports. Um, This might be the new step is that instead of getting your information as to how injured someone is, is that they're going to just post it on Twitter and tell you, hey, I'll be back in four to six weeks. Don't believe the hype that it's six to ten. But we'll see. It's, It's obviously a huge blow for the Cowboys. Um, you know, you can never factor injuries into it, but now it really makes you wonder giving up to Marco Murray, if that was a smart decision or not. Well, and, and at least off the first batch of, of, of data, I mean, DeMarco Murray had nine stinking yards Monday night against Atlanta. Um, there's cowboy people that are out there seeing, saying, see, this is why we didn't give you all this money, but you're right. Now that Dez is out, boy, that puts a lot of pressure on Romo. And we, we've seen Romo when he has to be the man how much trouble it really can get the Cowboys into. Yeah, and you know, the big thing, if if that's what people are pointing to is Monday Night Football, what they basically need to do is um, take a look at Chip Kelly's game plan. I mean, I hate to break this, and you know, this is the story that I've been writing, is this season totally for the Eagles is setting up for either Kelly's coaching a college team by the February or he's going to be hosting the Lombardi Trophy by February. And if he runs that type of game plan again, he's going to be coaching a college team because Atlanta stunk. And you're an Atlanta fan. You know they stunk against the run. Right. They got tired in the fourth quarter, and he stopped running the football. It made no sense. You give DeMarco Murray nine carries, that guy's a horse. You've got to get, he's got to get 20-plus carries. I know Chip's going to have issues behind the fact that he's got to feel he's got to spread the ball out to Matthews and Sproles, but he needs to start turning around and handing the football off. It, it makes no sense. Well, and and we also saw Chip be and, – and, and I was I was screaming from the hilltops Monday night. 
we we all and maybe it's just me, but I, I think maybe we all thought that you know Chip Kelly was going to come into the NFL and be different. And when he had an opportunity to really put the pedal down and make an aggressive move to try and really put that game out of reach, he didn't. Um, and granted, the the off the way the offense have been going, the way they've been moving the ball, and you have fourth and, and like a foot, and you decide, no, let's just let Cody Parkey kick it. And granted, it would have given him the lead. And I understand that that mindset, but at the same time, the, when your offense is chugging along like that, I, I almost halfway expected Chip Kelly, and maybe it's my overinflated sense of, of his abilities, but I honestly expected him to say, no, screw it, we're going for it. We're going to get a yard, we're going to go down, we're going to score. And when he kicked the field goal, I was just like, you're just like every other NFL coach. Yeah, well, I really think that Chip Kelly's over his head in managing a football game at the NFL level. I think a lot of the stunts he pulls you can get away with still in college, but at the NFL level, he just – to me, he doesn't have, even after now, this going into, what, his uh, fourth year, he doesn't have, or third year, he doesn't have the big-time understanding of what to do in big, close games. And what he never got at the college level was, in the NFL, pretty much every weekend can be a close game for you, even if you're the most dominant team. And he hasn't had to make those decisions. What he should be doing is having an old NFL head coach on his staff who's in his ear saying, Chip, this is what you need to do. Right. Because with what he, the amount he's getting paid, what's the worst that happens? Is he gets fired and they pay him out like I think eight million dollars he still has left on his contract? I mean, these guys are so worried about their job security that they don't even pay attention to the fact that hey, if you if you take risk and do your job, odds are it's going to pay off. Mathematically, it shows a lot of times it pays off. And the the second thing behind it is that what's the worst case scenario? You go home with an eight million dollar check. Right. Rough life, man. Right. You know I. I wish I could have that. If I screw up at work, oh, here's eight million dollars, go away. I would, I would much rather fail. I'd rather, much rather try and fail than to just go the status quo and just let the, the dice fall where they may. I, I, I can't follow that mindset. I mean, this the scary thing, Brandon, about this is if Kelly does get fired, hit the remaining part of his interviews and everything else is going to be he's going to be Steve Spurrier. They're going to focus on why he fired and fired failed in the NFL mm -hmm. and then Kelly's going to have to come out and talk about everything he regretted not doing. And the fact is, is that he should really take a look at himself in the mirror. He must think that he's invincible and there's no way the Eagles will fire him no matter what type of year he has, or he's just got to believe that he's going to make the playoffs and be fine. But it's one of those things that he doesn't want to turn around in December and say, Oh, you know, that Atlanta game, I should have went for it. Or, you know, this upcoming Dallas game, we should have done this. If he gets to that, he's going to be gone no matter what. This is the Three Point Stance Magazine. He's Jeff Lyons. I'm Brandon Rush. We're brought to you by the Fat Jack Sports Hour. If you want to win this weekend playing the games against the spread, simple. All you got to do, call 1-800-298-1383 or go to fatjacksports.com. Sign up for the picks and, uh, and sit back and win. By the way, Jeff, Jack off to a 14-3 and start uh, to the 2015 football season. So if you're not in already, uh, you're, you're missing the boat. You can sign up for the rest of the month for two ninety nine, or if you're really smart, You'll sign up for the rest of the year, get all the winners through Super Bowl 50, uh, which isn't until February for a very good price. Tell them uh, Brandon from Three Point Stance Magazine sent you. Get a special little discount off. Uh, so, again, the Fat Jack Sports Service, 1-800-298-1383 or fatjacksports.com. Uh, other injuries to uh, to talk about, Deshaun Jackson uh, is banged up. Uh, a handful of other injuries around the uh, around the NFL. Um, but in the college game, uh, we've, we've seen a, a couple injuries already. And one close to uh, close to your heart would be uh, Malik Zaire with Notre Dame. 
consecutive games, Notre Dame has lost an offensive starter, but they've gone 2-0. and Now they turn around and face a, a feisty Georgia Tech squad. Um, and, and now, and, and having watched the Showtime uh, season with Notre Dame, I mean, it, and it's a fun show. It's 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 hard knocks light, but um, you really get a, a glimpse into that program. But now Notre Dame without Malik Zaire, Jeff, he had we had one spectacular game against Texas. Uh, was playing okay against Virginia, but but what does this injury mean for the Irish and their chances at a national title? I think it's kind of done, and it's not just Zaire that you have to look at. What you have to look at as well is they also lost their starting tar- tight end. That was buried. They they announced that um, on. Um, they announced that on Tuesday they've lost two defensive players, including um, a, a safety or a cornerback and also a defensive lineman. I mean, they're down five starters since the start of the season. Uh, in two games, they've basically lost five starters. Mm. It, you know, no one can really recover from that. I have no idea what type of player Deshaun Kaiser is. He was very, very, very inaccurate in his first game versus Virginia. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that, you know, he came in cold. He was off the bench. He, he really didn't get a chance for everything to sit in and get the type of coaching probably that the starter level needs, but he did push Zaire for that starting job early on. Now he was knocked out of it probably two weeks into camp, but Kelly openly said after spring football that it was still between Zaire and uh, Kaiser for the starting position. Um, Zaire was an interesting thing too. I watched that Virginia game pretty heavily um, I'd have to say the first half was unimpressive, but he had turned the corner when he hit that bomb to Fuller, and you felt like just the offense just couldn't be stopped after that. No. And it was one of those things that I think he just had a bad half. He was shaking it off. They were ready to go. They were up. He got hurt. Procise takes it in for a score. They're up by 12, and then kind of all the wheels fell out off because I think the entire team realized that, hey, you're starting quarterbacks out. Um, it, and it was another thing, too, with Kelly where – he had a situation on fourth down that he elected to go for it, and I didn't understand the play call because he decides to go out of the – instead of sneaking with Kaiser for half a yard, he decides to take Kaiser from under center, have him turn around and hand the football off, and it, it, the play just got blown up. Like, they read it the entire way. So that's another question mark there. I, I think Notre Dame can beat Georgia Tech on the strength of their defense and the fact that they, they are, unlike many schools – it's used to the option and see the option a lot. I think they can't beat Clemson. I think they'll have issues with USC. I mean, unless Kaiser shows me something that makes him right away come in and be an elite quarterback and puts Notre Dame in an Ohio State type of situation, I just don't think they have enough firepower anymore to get this done. Yeah, and you, you kind of had a belief that, or at least I did, that you know this is this is going to be a very good Notre Dame team. Um, granted, they're young, uh, but at the same time. There's still a lot, of, a lot of talent there, um, and and they, they've they've gotten to a point where I think that they've they've obviously earned that that bit of respect um, nationally. But to see the way that they've and, and the, their intestinal fortitude will be tested uh, here in the next few weeks, considering all the rash of injuries that they've had. But it's it's nice to as a college football fan to see Notre Dame relevant again, and and I, it's not that they were irrelevant, but at the same time they weren't a respected power. So it's, it's been nice to, uh, to see how they've, uh, how they've progressed. And, and I, I like Brian Kelly. I, I really do. He's, he's another one of those guys that I, I think gets it. 
and it would be uh, would be a fun guy to play for. So we'll see what they can do. And uh, this is this game is actually one of my picks uh, in our uh, trifecta picks contest coming up a bit later. We do have a contestant this week. Uh, Brian has submitted his games, um, and he was chosen out of the those who have submitted. If you want to uh, get in on this and have a chance to win a two hundred and fifty dollar bet on Super Bowl fifty. All you got to do is just go to the website, 3psmag.com, click on the trifecta links, or excuse me, the trifecta picks contest link, enter in your three games, you can be selected for uh, for a chance to go up against uh, Jeff and myself. Uh, we'll give our picks uh, coming up here in a bit, um, and uh, kind of a, a light, I won't say a light schedule, but there's not a lot of overly exciting games this weekend, at least on the college slate, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but uh, we'll preview some big games, plus give you our picks on uh, our trifecta picks contest coming up here in about 20 minutes. Um, let's take a quick time out. When we do, we'll come back. We'll actually preview the uh, the games this weekend and uh, and see if there's some opportunities for some teams to have big letdown spots. I got one team on a huge upset alert, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that and a whole lot more. You're listening to the Three Points Dance Mag. Hey, this is the Fat Jack. Another week in the books. My clients and I turn a profit again, keyed by a four and one Saturday. Now fourteen and three against the Las Vegas spread with my top selections. Are you playing the games against the spread? Going to Las Vegas this weekend? Do not go it alone. Call one 298 1383 or the easiest way: go to FatJackSports.com. Get all the selections emailed to you. They're text to your cell phone. Very hassle-free winning selections. That's 1-800-298-1383 or FatJackSports.com. Only $299 gets you all the selections through the end of September or save money with the longer packages. Don't fall for the fly-by-night hype of some of those handicapping services. My clients are 14-3 against the spread, and we're going to win again this weekend. $299, everything through the end of the month. That's 1-800-298-1383 or FatJackSports.com for winning selections this weekend. Cut! So I'm not the big shot in town. But that doesn't mean I can't live my life like a movie star. With just the press of a button, Uber shows me all the private drivers nearby ready to pick me up. Download the app, register for free, and ride in style anytime, anywhere. Thanks. Let's go. Uber's the quickest and easiest way to get around town, and you can do it from the touch of your phone. Uber connects you to a driver in minutes, and you can use Uber in cities around the world. Go to 3psmag.com, click on the Uber link, and earn $10 towards your first ride. Sign up for Uber and use our code UBER3PSMAG. That's Uber, the number three, P-S-M-A-G. This is Three Point Stance Magazine. Now back to our hosts, Brandon Rush and Jeff Lyons. Welcome back to Three Point Stance Magazine. I'm Brandon Rush. He's Jeff Lyons. Getting ready for week number three, the college slate, uh, week number two in the NFL. Uh, before we go forward, though, Jeff, we still got to kick around some uh, some stuff from last week. You were at the uh, Michigan State-Oregon game. Uh, watching that game on TV, Jeff, I there were there were moments where I honestly thought, 
that Michigan State tried to get Oregon back in that game late, and Oregon just didn't make the plays down the stretch. But but up until that point, it was a pretty dominating performance by Sparty. Yeah, and, and I guess the question I have for you, Brandon, and you know where I'm going to go once I, I ask you this question. What do you think of the quarterback play? Of, of Connor Cook or... Connor Cook and Vernon Adams Jr. There, there are moments where you're like, wow, that was a really nice play. And then there are other moments where you just want to drag him behind a woodshed and beat the snot out of him because they do some dumb stuff. I got to be honest, both of them offended my quarterback sensibilities, and I was ready to demote Connor Cook to a fifth-round draft pick. We, I mean, Cook made one throw that entire game that I could openly say was an NFL throw that look was on the mark. It was accurate. It was a great throw and it was in a big down when they needed it. It was in a fourth down situation. Everything else cook was low. He was high. Oregon didn't get any pressure on him. I don't think they even hit cook the entire game. He got the Aaron Rodgers treatment. Mm -hmm. Oregon's running a 30 base read and react front, and they got shredded on defense on the first series. Let's put it this way, too. The first series, Oregon gave up 68 yards in rushing yards. They allowed 91 yards at the end of the half. So what Oregon basically did was they dropped, they put eight in the box and told Connor Cook to come beat him, and he couldn't. Connor Cook could not. That That's the one thing that you could pick up is that Michigan State basically grounded it out versus Oregon, but I don't think they have the firepower on offense to compete with, you know, someone along the lines that runs a spread like an Auburn or someone else who can put points on the board quickly. I don't think they're good enough. I mean, they're and they're relying on the defense. And I'll tell you right now, from looking up top, that defense is not as good as the 2014 defense. And it's not as good as that 2013 defense. And that 13 defense was great. Yeah. I mean, so, it, it's hard to replicate that kind of success, especially when you lose a defensive coordinator, you lose guys in the NFL. It's hard to fill those spots. And if you're just living off reputation, that's going to get you in, a, in, a, in trouble a lot. Right. And when I looked at this and what I said to myself watching this game is Michigan State's the better football team. But if they played at Oregon, I couldn't tell you that. And I really think. Sparty came out and they the first, they got punched in the face too by Oregon. You know, I was talking to a bunch of people in the stands and they said, if you're Michigan State won the toss, what do you do? I go take the football. I said, why would you take the football? I go because if I go score seven, Oregon now is playing on its heels the entire game. Yep. Instead, they kicked, they deferred. Oregon took the ball and they said, well, what do you do now? Well, you run your tempo as fast as you can because Michigan State's not going to know what to do. And Oregon didn't get in huge chunks. They got in small plays and they just systematically went down the field, used their tempo, scored an easy touchdown. And then Sparty comes back in four or three plays and scores their own touchdown. But you're kind of sitting there saying, okay, is this going to be a shootout or what's really going on here? It, it got to the point in the fourth quarter when Michigan State was up 10 and Oregon scored their touchdown. Um, to put them down three with like seven minutes left. I'm screaming from the stands onside the ball. Why give the ball back to Michigan State? One, if it, they kicked it deep and you get the ball back at the 20, Michigan State's probably going to run six minutes off the clock and take it down your throat because your defense really couldn't stop anyone. Yep. Or two, you know, you onside it, and worst case scenario is Michigan State has a ball between the 45 and the 50, and they score in three minutes. Now, the funny thing was, and here's where it was really an interesting thing, they were Michigan state returned the kick to the Oregon 35. Right. So you're kind of like you would have lost or gained 10 yards by trying to onside it. I just, for me, I would have onside that ball and tried to get it back. Cause, and the other thing you have to think at too, is if they had gotten that ball back, that stadium becomes death. Dead. Yep. Deadly silent. Yep. 
it's just what the heck just happened here. I mean, they were screaming. Fans didn't know what to do. They were freaking out. Oregon did get the, you know, they let Michigan State score. They got the ball back. They scored another touchdown. Down three again. They elected to kick off, which was crazy, versus, you know, trying to onside at that time. Michigan State went three and out, and Oregon got stopped. And I will tell you this, Vernon Adams Jr., I'd like to challenge him to a throwing competition. Because I think I have a I think I have a better arm and throw a prettier ball than he does. The I had to watch the film because I thought what I was seeing in the stands was kind of an optical illusion because I was a little bit high up. Right. He threw a lot of ducks. No pun intended on this, too. He threw a ton of ducks. And that last pass, if he had a if he had Connor Cook's arm. That last pass that fell short, he hits that receiver on the out route deep enough to get the first down. And no one's even talking, too, about his decision in that whole thing that he took a sack on third down that dropped them out of field goal range. And remember, they were third and seven from, like, the 33, and he elected to drop back and lose it all the way to the 48. And it was, like, third or fourth and 20 or fourth and 17. It was absurd, and you're going – why wouldn't you just throw it away? He he had we didn't know this at the time, but he basically had Eli Manning disease. Right. You know he had his mat he had his massive brain fart in the biggest time of the year. And I watched the game day preview too, um, where he talked about he wouldn't have made the same decision and everything else. I think part of the reason why he's saying that is he's outclassed. You know if and I'm Oregon, it. I'm Oregon. You got you know ten games left. You have Vernon Adams, who's a 10-game quarterback, maybe a bowl game on top of that. Bench his ass and start with someone else. Just start over. You have nothing to lose. I'm going to tell you now, what's really going to hurt Michigan State is Oregon cannot run that table. They're going to lose to USC. They'll probably lose to Arizona State. They may even lose to Arizona or UCLA, too. You're looking that they're going to have two to three losses on top of the Michigan State loss. And I picked them to win the Pac-12 and go to the playoff, but... Watching them live, if this is the type of Oregon team that's playing, they're not going anywhere. Now, and I can't prove anything right. this week because they're playing Georgia State at home, and the line's like 48 and a half. So that's not going to do anything. But if you look at this, like Michigan State has a big game versus Air Force. Connor Cook needs to pick Air Force apart. Otherwise, I've totally lost faith in him, and you have to start questioning. I walked out of the stadium and got you know my in-laws really upset because they're all Michigan State grads. They told them, you guys can't beat Ohio State. I'm like, that team on the field will not beat Ohio State. They'll be, I said, if that line is less than 10 points, I'm putting my entire house on Ohio State. <laughs> they're they're at another level, uh, at least at least from what we've seen uh, so far. And you're right. I think Michigan State, while, you know, the top five ranking is nice, they may just be the, the top of everybody else that's left. I don't necessarily think that maybe they're, uh, I mean, when you think of like a top 10 team, you think of a team that's got their stuff together. And and I'm with you. I don't I don't see all the pieces there to really compete with. And granted, maybe that's just because Ohio State's that darn good and they're that much better than everybody else. But it, there's a there's a pretty big gap between one and four, even in the standings right now. Yeah, and you know that was the thing is that I just kept I, I started going through just some schools and saying could they beat them? And you look at Michigan State's schedule and it's a total joke. I mean, there's no one who's really going to give them a chance. You know, I think Penn State might be the toughest school outside of Ohio State left on that schedule. And, you know, Michigan could pull off just a miracle and really give them a, a challenge. But it just I couldn't buy into that. Something like that's going to happen. I mean, here, here you go. You got Air Force and they're going to they're going to it's a wet field. Air Force is going to have an advantage with that option. Mm -hmm. Central Michigan, Purdue, they play their next they play four home games in a row. Then they go Rutgers, 
at Michigan. That'll be the tough one versus Indiana. Indiana sucks. You know, Nebraska. Okay, Nebraska could be good. They might not. We don't know. It's a night game. It's at Nebraska. Anything could happen. At Maryland at home, Maryland blows. And then at Ohio State, and they close with Penn State at home. I mean, if I'm looking at that schedule, I'm kind of saying there's no reason for me not to run the table until I get to, you know, Ohio State. Yeah, the- and the sad thing is, is that because they'll be a one-loss team, they're going to get that argument that they should belong in the playoff or have the opportunity to be in it. And I personally feel the more that I'm watching a lot of these teams play, if you don't win your conference championship, you shouldn't be eligible for the playoff. I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and I think that we're, we may be eventually heading that way. Um, but, but as far as Michigan state goes, you're absolutely right. That that schedule, if, if they don't, uh, you know, run out, I mean, obviously with, except for the one loss, I, it's hard to it's hard to make a, a case for them, especially the way they've looked so far. Right, and you know they did lose one of their offensive linemen um, early on in the game, and I can't think of uh, the guy's name, but it was like number seventy one or something, and I think he was a he was a I think he was a tackle or a guard, but you could just see that their offense after losing him was totally out of sync. I thought it was the center; it wasn't. I got corrected on that. Um, still, though, Connor Cook for the way his pocket was so clean. I mean, his pocket was so clean. He could make Jameis Winston complete a pass. <laughs> you know, that's how clean the pocket was. He like had no pressure. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like you would have thought that Oregon sooner or later would have start blitzing, but they basically said, we're not going to let you beat, beat us via the run. You're going to have to beat us via the pass. And cook couldn't do it. I mean, that's a night that if cook should look back at that game and be like, I should have thrown for 400 yards mm-hmm. instead. I think he was what, like 20 or 32 for a buck 92 with uh, two touchdowns in a pick. Not, uh, not stellar numbers when you're, uh, when you, when you have eight, uh, eight in the box. Right. And, and that's just, it, it, you know, I think it also goes back to that. Their um, wide receivers really aren't that good either. They're definitely unexperienced or inexperienced. Unexperienced is good too. I, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, before we, we we move on to uh, to the games this weekend, touch on a couple quick things here. Arkansas losing to Toledo, woof. Um, and, and it would have been doubly bad for the SEC had Ar- had uh, had uh, Auburn rather lost to Jacksonville State. That could have been a cataclysmic day for the SEC. Right. And, you know, people are making a big deal out of what our buddy Brett Bielma said and the fact that he was ripping on the Big Ten for their non-conference schedule, which he totally has a right to do. If your conference sucks and it's not really that deep, because I do now more and more after watching some of the Big Ten games, think that like a Kentucky could come into the Big Ten and be a middle tier team. You know, and they're bottom tier in the SEC. Um, I think they'd give Michigan State and some of the other teams a run for their money with the way their offense is and the fact that their defense is productive. I think Tennessee could run through those, a bunch of te- people as well. Florida, eh, I'm not sure, but I still think they'd be a challenge. You know, Bielma ran his mouth off and then lost, and people are like, oh, look at this, look at this. Listen, Toledo came up, and they just played a game of their lives. It's going to happen. If Arkansas runs the table now, are you going to keep them out of the playoff because they lost to Toledo yes. early in the season? Yes. Well, you are. I don't think the committee would. <laughs> 
You know, I mean, that was a big argument uh, with a lot of the teams that we were looking at last year is, hey, they lost to so-and-so. Do we keep them out or what do we do type of thing? Like you always have that weird loss out there. You know, it happens. It's hard for kids to get motivated to win 12 or 13 games during the course of the year and play at their highest level. And I think that's what really happened with Arkansas is game one, they rolled. And then game two, they started wondering what the, they they believe their own hype and they got into a lot of trouble. I wouldn't be shocked that uh, – I forget who they're playing this week, but they're going to give them – it's not going to be fun for everyone. No, there's going to be some whoopings handed out this weekend after the way uh, some teams played a, a week ago. Uh, jumping over to the NFL, just in just a quick recap of uh, of last week's uh, week one action. Um, Dallas had no business winning that game Sunday night, yet the Giants pretty much pretty much handed it to them. And, and, and I ripped Kelly – uh, Chip Kelly for his decision making. Tom Coughlin at least owned up to it and said, "Yeah, we should we should have ran the ball. We should have maybe gone forward on fourth down. Uh, I mean, really fourth and one or fourth and goal at the one with a lead. You got to run the ball there. And, and if you get stuck, sure you score a touchdown, you put the game out of reach. If you get stopped, you're taking time off the clock and you're making Dallas go the full length of the field." to win the ball game with probably under a minute to go. I mean, and, and at least it, Coughlin owned up to it, but that was a, a catastrophic mistake for, uh, for the giants. Yeah. You know what though? Like Eli Manning's been playing football for forever. He should know what to do. And the fact of the matter too, if, if, if I was a coach and I heard that in the huddle, my quarterback told my running back not to score, I'd slap him. Mm. I mean, he just got paid $84 million. That's not your job. That's Tom Coughlin's job. He tells people what to do. Because if you score that touchdown, it doesn't matter how many timeouts Dallas has. they got to score twice. And in between, get an onside kick. It, it just, that was stupid. Like, the first part's stupid. Don't score. Who cares? Let them score. And, you know, again, it's Eli Manning now, to me, is on the same level of Donovan McDab for football knowledge. Donovan McDab, you know, said, infamously said, I didn't know overtime could end in a tie. Mm-hmm. Well, Eli could didn't know that declining a penalty still stops the clock and they didn't use that timeout. So it's one of those things that, and they're saying, well, you know, the coaches should have been telling the players you and I both know in the huddle, the coaches don't know what the players are saying to each other. No. And if Manning really had that big of an issue behind it, he should have called timeout himself, walked over to the bench and said, Hey, or looked at the scoreboard. Cause the great thing is scoreboard puts the amount of timeouts up there. I, I know that's a weird thing to think of, but they do. It is, but uh, you, and you're right. You, from a, from a, there is always a disconnect, and, and there's a belief that you know coaches coach and players play, and, and players follow the direction of the coaches. And in the NFL, there there maybe is some sense of that. But if you if you're an established player like a Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, um, you know, Tom Brady, I'm sure that they have the 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 stature to where they can just be like, no, this is what we're going to do instead. But at the same time, you better be right. You damn right. well better be right. Um, I, I still am just dumbfounded by that deal. Um, an, another Manning, though, maybe done. I mean, after through two games, we saw Peyton play uh, Sunday and then obviously Thursday night against Kansas City. It seems to me that that we've obviously seen the best of Peyton Manning. He's obviously on the downhill side of his career. If not for that defense, they're owing to. Yeah. And I mean, if not for Jamal Charles electing to put the football on the oh, field twice. Oh, man. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this. Even after his first fumble, the way Charles kind of ran down the field and got his first touchdown, it, 
the amount of touchdowns that Charles has basically scored between last year and this year already, if you took him in fantasy, you're dominating everything. Yes. And then the dude coughs up the fumble, and the best part out of it was Jim Nance, you know, giving him crap on the sidelines. I don't know if you saw that. Did you see I where did not. Nance – Okay, so Nance was trolling Charles – Charles slammed his helmet to the ground, and Phil Sims made some comment, like, pure frustration out of Charles slamming his helmet. And Nance goes, well, at least he held on to it this time. Maybe maybe Nance had uh, had Kansas City in the points. Who knows? Or, yeah, maybe he took him in the eliminator. We don't know. <laughs> oh, goodness. He's Jeff Lyons. I'm Brandon Rush. This is Three Point Stance Magazine previewing week. Uh, this weekend's action. A lot of uh, good college games this weekend and the NFL week number two. There's there's always an overreaction maybe to you know week one performance versus week two performance and it's always stated as well that their biggest improvements teams make is between weeks one and, and two and we'll there's some teams that definitely need to look a heck of a lot better than they did a week ago and then there's also some teams that we need to see if last week was a fluke or not we'll touch on those when we preview the uh, the NFL coming up but first let's uh, let's jump into the uh, to the college pool this week um, a, a couple high-profile games there's a bunch uh, I don't say a bunch there's about uh, five uh, top 25 versus top 25 teams we'll uh, we'll go with those first uh, before we jump into some other uh, some other action uh, this afternoon at, uh, at Notre Dame or if you listen to us Saturday today uh, Notre Dame takes on Georgia Tech uh, at Notre Dame Stadium uh, we touched on the injuries that Notre Dame has coming into uh, to this game and now they get to face uh, a, a total changeup uh in in georgia tech um this game as i said jeff is actually one of my picks in the trifecta picks contest uh i i want like i said i i i've enjoyed notre dame being relevant again them being in the top 10 it's it's i think it's good for college football but considering everything that's going on and the fact that you face a, a, an offense like georgia techs on a on a on you know, with all this other turmoil going on, I don't know that that bodes very well for the Irish. Yeah, you know, I, I totally see where you're coming from. I mean, as a better, that's something that I would probably look at pretty heavy if I didn't have a rooting interest in this. <laughs> I think my biggest thing is just the amount of money that's been going on Georgia Tech kind of makes you scratch your head. And, you know, it's one of those games where you start saying if this much money's going on, they don't build these huge casinos for, right. you know, a reason without a reason. Um, it's kind of like, to me, it reminds me of the Michigan State-Oregon game. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and say that, you know, Notre Dame's going to definitely win this game, but they may, it may be a one point game And Michigan state, Oregon, that line got fed up to five. So, I mean, a lot of people, I think all the money actually was on Michigan state. The casinos made out well when the, the second that line jumped from to three and a half, it was pure money for them. And to have it go up to five just kind of shows you how heavy it is. I, I agree with you. I just know that Notre Dame has been exposed to the option. Joe Schmidt's back. You know, calling the signals. They shut Navy down. Now, Navy isn't obviously the skill level that Georgia Tech is, but that familiarity is going to make it better. Um, Herb Street and uh, Pollock were sitting there saying that because the quarterback for Georgia Tech is better than any quarterback they've had in a while, that's going to make them more deadlier. But they're on the road. They're going to Notre Dame Stadium for the first time ever. It's going to be interesting to see if they can have to make an adjustment or if they have any issues. It's going to be wet as well. Same rules apply that, yeah, it's going to be hard to defend the option, but, you know, a couple pitches that wet ball could fall out and you never know what happens. Could be a wild afternoon in uh, northern Indiana. Uh, down on the uh, southern plains um, in, the, in, the, in the bayous, 
Auburn goes to LSU. The Tigers are guaranteed to win this game, but which ones are, is it going to be? Is it Auburn, who almost got stung a week ago, maybe looking ahead a bit to LSU, or does just Leonard Fournette run roughshod over the uh, over Auburn? Uh, that game at three thirty on CBS. Uh, I I'm very high on LSU, and I don't think they're really getting the respect that that maybe they could. Um, but maybe as I look at this game too, maybe it's a bit of an overreaction from how bad Auburn looked a week ago in almost losing to Jacksonville State. Yeah, I'm saying give me LSU at home. You know, I I know Auburn's going to play a much better football game. It'll be a fun game to watch. But I just think LSU at home so deadly, and you got the Mad Hatter. You never know what stunt he's going to pull, and that's where you could have the the issues. I wouldn't bet this game if you made me. Um, just because of the less miles factor. The dude is absolutely nuts. That, and it's a touchdown line. It's not a three-point line. Like, I mean, you want to talk overreaction. That's where, looking at this line right now, having it be seven points, you have to just kind of kick around the idea of taking Auburn, don't you? I I mean, mean, normally I would say yes, um, but you give me the better team, the the better team with the better defense at home, I'm, I'm hard to go against that. Right. No, but, I understand. But, I'm just saying that's one of those that you could get backdoored pretty easy. easily, very easily. And, and like I said, with less miles involved, I mean, he's a man who can turn a 20 point game into a three point game both ways. <laughs> he can blow a 20 point lead by being overly cautious or he can you know, be the riverboat gambler and, and, and erase a lead just as quick. Um, BYU UCLA, an intriguing game, a late kickoff on Fox Sports 1, 1030 Eastern kickoff from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. BYU is an unlikely t- uh, uh, 2-0. Um, I honestly, I actually had them in the opener against Notre, uh, against Nebraska, uh, but I honestly thought that they would beat Boise. And, and the way that they've played with, uh, with their uh, backup quarterback, Tanner Mangum, has been uh, pretty impressive. Granted, he's a 22-year-old freshman. Um, and I think, as you pointed out last week, uh, he's the same age as Jameis Winston. So it's not as if that he's you know fresh off the boat, so to speak. But... An unlikely win a week ago, and now they have to go on the road to UCLA. This is a top 25 matchup after two big wins. BYU snuck into the top 25. They're actually at number 19. I've, I, I don't want to be, – I'll believe the hype if they, if they go in and compete with UCLA. I don't have any visions of them going into to Pasadena and winning, though. No, I don't either. This is going to be – you can just see UCLA is going to jump on them, and they're going to stay on them, and they're not going to – I'm sure Jim Moore Jr. during the entire week has been reminding them, you know, this is what happened with this team. You can't take your foot off the pedal. So this might get ugly early and stay ugly for the rest of the uh, the day. And the marquee game of the day is an SEC battle of two top 15 teams as Ole Miss goes to Alabama to take on Nick Saban and the Tide. Uh, it's a 9-15 Eastern start on ESPN. Ole Miss has been scoring points in bunches. And, of course, they beat Alabama a year ago um, at home. But now they have to go to, to Tuscaloosa. And, and that uh, obviously ratchets up the the difficulty factor. Um, I got a sneaky suspicion, though, that that this is an opportunity for Ole Miss to, to really do something impressive on this stage. Um I don't think Alabama is worthy of the number two team in the country. Yes, they have a lot of talent, but at this point in the in the season, I haven't seen it from them just yet, and and I'm not overly impressed with their quarterback situation. Uh, meanwhile, I think Ole Miss is is very undervalued here, and it would not shock me if the Rebels went in and won. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked by it either, but I just think it, Alabama's a better team still. I mean, the one thing that you do have on your side is this is that recruiting class, that infamous recruiting class of Hugh Freeze's third year. You know, it's time for him to them to really kind of, you know, get going and start winning some football games. They should definitely be strong on defense. The question is, is what their, is their offense really like? Two cupcakes. I have no idea mm-hmm. if you're going to be able to score in Alabama or not. You know, yeah, you hung 72 weeks in a row, but if you come out to Bama and put 13 up, I don't think you're winning the football game. He's Jeff Lyons. I'm Brandon Rush previewing the weekend's action here uh, on Three Point Stance Magazine. We're just going to rapid fire with some games. You kind of give me your uh, your take on uh, on what you think will happen uh, this weekend. Uh, you touched on Air Force, Michigan State. Um, big opportunity, you think, for Michigan State, though, to really kind of prove that, that last week wasn't a fluke. Yeah, I, I'd say Michigan State, but I don't think they cover. Why this game is on ESPN, I will never know. UConn at Missouri at noon kickoff. If you're watching this game, you must hate yourself because this is going to be an ugly, ugly, ugly contest. Yeah, pretty much. I guess you have to go Missouri, right? I, I don't know. I mean, just be, and, and granted, part of it's my hatred for Missouri. Part of it is they've looked very blah through a couple games. And UConn may be doing some things, kind of turning the corner a bit. But if they win this game, I mean, I'd, I'll be I'll be all in with uh, with the Huskies. Um, Tulsa goes to Oklahoma. This one concerns me a bit, just because of the way Oklahoma won a week ago. Now they return home. Their heads are high. They beat an SEC team, and they they're thirty point favorites against Tulsa. They've got to go and just absolutely hammer the Hurricane to be able to, I think, really earn uh, some respect nationally. Right, and you don't know. I mean, it was one of those. I missed the game. It seems like they were almost sleepwalking through it till they no. got to the fourth quarter. It was th- they were in third and nine perpetually until about the start of the fourth quarter. And I, I don't know. There wasn't any one play that really kind of just flipped the switch. I think it may have been Tennessee, maybe kind of sitting on the football a little bit and and allowed Oklahoma to get back in the ball game. And once they got the momentum going, they just couldn't stop it. Um, I, I still think Oklahoma's probably the second best team in the Big Twelve, but I, I they're not a national championship contender at least at least not at this point. Uh, Northwestern goes to Duke. A uh, bunch of smart kids playing. Northwestern probably wins just because Duke's down a little bit. And I was going to go with Duke in that one. I think it's Northwestern's on the road. I think it's about time that they just have their letdown game. Um, how many points? Okay, let's let's do this. More. What what's what'll be the higher number? Ohio State's margin of victory, or Northern Illinois rushing yards? Northern Illinois rushing yards. Just because they run the football a ton. That and I mean, since they run it from the quarterback too, you know, okay. you'll get, you'll probably get forty or fifty from the quarterback alone, and then when you get into the fourth quarter, you know, you'll get that one drive where they put up like sixty yards, and that's the end of it. Somehow, Oklahoma State has creeped into the top twenty-five. Uh, they host UTSA, who may be the best zero and two team in the country. Uh, Three thirty on Fox Sports One. The Roadrunners are a tough, tough out. Um, they gave Arizona everything they wanted in the opener. Uh, they played. Kansas State pretty well uh, for a while. Um, this is not uh, one of my picks, but don't be shocked if, if this is a 10-point game going into the fourth quarter. I like UTSA. Larry Coker is an absolute stud. Um, he's one of those dudes that I would have loved to have played for. Um, Oklahoma State at home plays a lot better than they do anywhere else, but the Roadrunners are going to give them a battle today. I honestly have a feeling about that. 
It's a 28-point line. That would be interesting to see. Nebraska and Miami. God, if this was 1995, I mean, game day would be would be there. Um, however, these two programs have fallen from the uh, from the the ranks of the mighty. That said, though, Nebraska probably should go into Miami and win this, and I'll be I'll be shocked if Al Golden's employed by Halloween. Yeah, and you know what? That's one of those that, that if Nebraska comes out and wins, um, if Nebraska or I'm sorry, if Miami comes out and wins, Al Golden's going to secure himself for another year. Upset alert. This is my upset pick of the day. South Carolina at Georgia. Jeff, every year, Georgia wins a game they shouldn't and loses a game they shouldn't. South Carolina has a lot to prove after a disappointing loss a week ago. They go to between the hedges in, in Athens against a team that really I don't think has, has established themselves. Love the running game with Nick Chubb, but I, I just I got a feeling, a, a strange feeling in my gut that South Carolina gets them today. That's, you know, that would be interesting because that would be two years in a row that happens to Georgia that South Carolina this time now goes on the road and just, just dominates them. Remember last year, South Carolina, Mike Davis ran all over Georgia. And I just, you got to think that Georgia's going to be ready for it this time. Texas Tech goes to Arkansas under the radar for a lot of people. I'm interested to see how Arkansas bounces back. I mean, after an embarrassing home loss. And granted, it was in Little Rock. It's their second home, which is still kind of weird. Um, but after that loss, I'm interested to see how they how they bounce back against a Texas Tech team that has been uh, has been okay so far. Uh, but this is a big test for Brett Bielma and, and then the Hogs. Yeah, expect them to just run the football the entire game. I don't think they'll let Wilson throw one pass. If you're uh, up. Uh, if you have no plans this evening and you want to watch an entertaining ball game and you don't care about either school, got one for you. Colorado against Colorado State. They played a neutral side. They play at uh, whatever the Broncos field is called now um, in Denver. Um, these two schools, Jeff, no matter how good either one is, always puts together an entertaining game. And these are two schools that absolutely hate each other. Um, fun game to watch, but I, I really don't care who wins because neither one is relevant. But it's it's entertaining nonetheless. Yeah, and it's one of those two that it's really a great game to bet on. Yes. Um, and you always take Colorado State. I think they're on a crazy run of just winning football games. I mean, that is one of those that if you get a chance and you want to put some money down, I'm not, I haven't even seen the line, but I'm just telling you over the history of watching that game, Colorado State usually is the better bet of the two to make. Uh, while we're talking about that, let's just take a quick peek here and see what that number is. And while we're talking about this, if you got time tonight, too, one of the ones that kind of interests me the most is uh, is Pittsburgh going to Iowa. Two teams am, that are they're perpetually under underachieving, but right. always always in games somehow. And I mean, there's no Connor, you know, Connor's mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. but I it's still it's a Pat Narduzzi team. He's familiar with Iowa. The line's only five and a half, which means Vegas thinks it's going to be closer than a lot of people do. I could easily see after the big win against Iowa State that Pittsburgh comes out, sees Iowa in a letdown, and smacks them around a little bit. Colorado, by the way, a three-point favorite. So if you like uh, if you like underdogs and you like rivalries, take Colorado State in the points. There you go. Um, a, a statement game for for a couple SEC teams: Florida at Kentucky tonight on the SEC Network, seven thirty. Kentucky with a nice win, um, their first conference road win in like 20 something road games which was crazy um florida though has a lot to prove too under new head coach jim McElwain. a a sick part of me wanted to go to this game and just watch both teams fail but 
I I kind of am liking what Kentucky's doing. Boom Williams running the ball good. Um, this would be a, a good statement win, I think, for Kentucky if they're able to do it. Yeah, and it's weird that they're not even favored in the game. But last year, what it went five overtimes or something crazy like and that. They, they and they should have swamp. In Kentucky, should have won that game a year. Yeah, ago. And, and it was an awesome game, and it's it, it was a game that Kentucky basically learned they needed to grow up. Um, I would take Kentucky in the points in this one. In, in another game that if you're watching, you must hate yourself. Rutgers at Penn State. If Ugh. Penn State's, oh, uh, do we have to talk oh, about this game? God, I, I've I, any time that there's really bad offensive line play, I, I've tweeted out, "Wow, Christian Hackenberg thinks this offensive line is garbage." Um, the good news is Rutgers can't play at all, and considering all that they've got going on as as an institution right now, ugh, not a good time to be at Rutgers. And I'm, I'm sure there are some that are that are regretting getting them into the Big Ten. Um, yeah, don't hey, even, don't even the, watch we, this game. We should start an over under on how many more games does Christian Hackenberg play until he fakes like a you know a thigh injury. I, I mean, I, I said after the opener that I, I openly asked, has school started yet at Penn State? Because if he hasn't, he should transfer like immediately and just go somewhere else. And because he could, I honestly believe Jeff, he could go to an FCS school tomorrow and probably have as good, if not a better, offensive line than what he has at Penn State. Right, and, and the craziest thing on this, Brandon, is. Every time he gets hit, he has to be watching dollars fly out the window. You know, it, I, it's one of those things that you really just feel if he makes it through this year, I'll be stunned. But I totally see something unfortunate happening to him with the, the amount he's getting hit. Law averages say he's going to have something bad happen. He might not make it to the NFL. And if that happens, I mean, that's going to be a travesty. And what's and what's even worse is even when he has time to throw He's like he's paranoid because he knows that something's coming. So he doesn't I don't think he's stepping into a lot of throws. He's not throwing with confidence that you're right. I if I'm him, I'm just I I, I develop pneumonia. I, I mean, something. Yeah. You know, I got a I got a thigh contusion and I can't step. Can't, OK, cool. Not, not you know, the NFL teams aren't going to put you through 100 physicals to verify that your thigh's OK. Don't, you know? don't watch this game. There are much yeah, better things you could do tonight. I mean, and, and the sad thing is, is that it's just the entire offense sucks. Yes, it's bad. It's like you have a portion. You surround him by a bunch of freaking mopeds. Vespas. Uh, boy, you talk about schools that are in trouble. Texas. Eey. I mean, obviously the bad opener against, against uh, Notre Dame. They basically removed Sean Watson, their offensive coordinator, from play calling duties. They beat up on an obviously overmatched Rice team, but now they turn around and face Cal. And I, Jeff, I, I'll be, I'll be dead serious. If they are within twenty of Cal, I will be shocked. You know, it, it's interesting because the line started at two and a half and it's up to six. And I, you know, my theory and philosophy in a lot of these games is you always have to watch where Vegas is putting these things. This is one of those that. It should be a competitive football game. I, I mean, I get Cal's got the funky offense and everything. Cal can't stop anybody on defense. So all Texas really has to do is run the football. And if they can run the football, they can, you know, they'll keep this game competitive. And, and I will disagree with what people are saying. Texas firing their AD has nothing to do with Charlie Strong. No. When you dig into that, the stuff he, or the stunts he pulled, I mean, I'm shocked Charlie Strong's able to feel the recruiting class right now by the fact that they're pulling private jets from him in uh, Shaka Smart and all this other type of stuff, trying to save money on a budget that doesn't need any money to be saved. So, you know, if, if Texas loses, it's going to really – it'll artificially put Charlie Strong on the hot seat. But 
I, I just there's something that tells me that this might be the game that's kind of the turning point and Texas keeps it close and because and it's not because Cal is or because Texas keeps it close, not because Texas is good, but because Cal's defense is so bad. We'll see. I I honestly don't know. And you're right. This there's a lot of artificial heat on on Charlie Strong by proxy of what's going on at the university. But I honestly believe that he, when they hired him, it, it truly awoken a sleeping giant. Granted, he's 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 sleepwalking a bit still, but Charlie Strong in that in that setting, and and you're right. Texas prints their own money. I mean, let's let's not get it twisted. This school has an alumni base that has some deep pockets they're not going to be hurting for cash so the way the the athletic director was treating everything was just asinine and 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 given time and it it, it's obviously not going to be this year but but next year and years down the road if charlie strong is allowed to operate the way he wants to texas is going to be a nightmare for a lot of teams not only the big 12 but nationally for years to come and some of the names that are getting thrown out there about the next ad especially people like oliver luck if Oliver Luck is the guy who becomes the AD, Charlie Strong's not going anywhere. I I don't I don't care who the next AD is unless it's well I mean, unless it's Mac Brown. Yeah, well that's what I, was, I think. Actually, if Mac Brown's the next AD, um, Charlie Strong's not going anywhere. I mean, that's what you have to look at is who the next AD is. If he's a crazy, you know, Texan who you know, wants you know some of this run and gun and everything else, Charlie Strong's gone. But if it's a Mac Brown, if it's an Oliver Luck, if it's people who really believe. And, you know, the academics and everything else and kind of that and know personally that Charlie Strong's a good football coach. He's not going anywhere. He's Jeff Lyons. I'm Brandon Rush. This is Three Point Stance Magazine, your weekend primer for the uh, for the action in the uh, college and the NFL slate. We'll now jump over to the NFL in a handful of, of interesting ball games. Um, we'll go, kind of go out of order and, and play to the uh, to the bigger games first. Um, but Sunday night, Seattle at Green Bay. Seattle, Jeff, a week ago had opportunities to win the game at St. Louis, couldn't get it done, and it, at, least, at least initially in, in, their, in their first game in this new look. It's, it's not really a new look for, for Seattle, but the fact they got Jimmy Graham. The offense is okay. Defense still has some questions, and, and it, 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 after one game, I'm pounding my chest because I said Seattle's going to have a down year, maybe even finish third in that division. Um, but it, this the game Sunday night against Green Bay is going to be an absolute barn burner. Yeah, and you know, for such early in the season, no one has more pressure on them right now than Seattle does. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by this: if Seattle doesn't win that football game, can you imagine the cat calls that are going to occur now for Cam Chancellor to get paid? And this football game alone might cost Seattle eight million dollars against the salary cap. Easily, easily. And and don't let's not forget the the statistic that teams that start zero and two make the playoffs what eleven percent of the time. Yeah, and the big thing it, the big thing behind it is in looking at this, you know, if they shut Aaron Rodgers down, the Cam Chancellor loses a ton of leverage. Yeah. Cam's watching this game with with a vested interest. That's Oh yeah. And, and you know, Randall Cobb was actually doing an interview and was joking about that. He actually said to everyone he was hoping he'd hold out one more week. So, I mean, if your opponents know how big of a deal you are and what you can do, you you got to be certain that your own team knows that th- how crucial this game is to them. Absolutely. And yes. I mean, let's let's face it, like it or not, Seattle plays the Bears at home for their home opener the following week. They're not going to lose that football game, so they'll be one and two worst case scenario going into that going into week four. But I think that if they do lose at Green Bay and if they get beat up 
or if, you know, let's say they win, but Rodgers hangs 42 on them or something crazy, they might as well sit there and go pay Cam. The last two Seattle Green Bay games have been rather interesting. Let's not forget the uh, the touchception on Monday night during the uh, referee lockout. Um, and, of course, the NFC Championship game a year ago. So both of those have not gone Green Bay's way. Um, the fact this one, though, at home at Lambeau might kind of might sway it a little bit. Um, interested to see how Green Bay can can continue to go without Jordy Nelson. I think if they just feed Eddie Lacy enough, they'll they'll be they'll be OK. Right. And, you know, we saw the Rams. They really didn't have issues running the football. No. You know, they it, it just it makes you kind of wonder. That's all I can say is that you really have to wonder what the impact of Cam Chancellor is, both on the running game and on the passing game. And if Green Bay puts up 42, win or lose, I think Cam gets paid on Tuesday. And we talked about it in the offseason with all the contracts, I mean, with, with Russell Wilson getting his deal, you know, how much is, of that is going to be a distraction for this, for this organization and this team going into, uh, going into the camp and going into the fall. I mean, granted, after one game – I mean, there's there's at least some validity to that. So we'll we'll continue to monitor that because it, yeah, it, the, the distraction started because frankly, Marshawn Lynch is wearing Cam's Chancellor's jersey during practice. Yep. I and, mean, it, it started. There's no way around it. They're now locked in. Chancellor's not going to back down. I'll tell you that this holdout will go until week t- week eleven because remember, under NFL rules, in order to get paid on your or have a year of your contract count, you have to play six games or be available for six games. So. Week 11, because I think Seattle's bye week happens before then, will be the week that Cam Chancellor shows up. He'll play his six games, and now they're down to two years left, and he's going to tell them, guess what, I'm sitting out again. Their uh, their bye week is the uh, – let's see. Oh, it's the it'll be the week of November 14th. So it'll be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven – eight games so it's right in the middle of their, of their season so right so he'll show up, show up 12 13 week. 14 15 16 17 he'll show up week 12 that's when you'll see him that'll be six games and that he can play week 11 for the team or game 11 week 12 um he'll show up so that he can get his um six games in another big game marquee wise uh, dallas at philly and given all that's happened between i mean obviously it's an fc east uh, matchup the way that these two teams won and lost their games on uh, on over the weekend, plus the added juice of Demarco Murray playing against his former team, home opener for Philly. This one's going to be entertaining to say the least. Um, without Des Bryant, it kind of brings Dallas back to the back to the mean a bit. Um, but Philly's got a, a a lot riding on this game. Yeah, and let's. Let's be honest, looking at the Philadelphia defense, I don't think they can stop the Cowboys' offense. If they couldn't stop Atlanta, there's no way, even without Des Bryant, they can stop the Cowboys' offense. It's going to be ground and pound, and then when Romo needs to pass, he's going to have five hours back there because they can't get to the quarterback. This is really going to come down to Philly's offense. They have to score, score in bunches, and figure out a way to get this done. Now, I'm expecting Philadelphia to win this game, honestly, because if they don't, that entire city's going to burn down. Yes. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's a statement about anything because remember Dallas doesn't have Greg Hardy. I, I would say this though. I think Philadelphia last week against Atlanta 
honestly thought that their corners could play one-on-one with Julio Jones, and that was obviously wrong. Um, that said, without Des Bryant in the lineup, I think that that gives that defense a little bit more cushion to be able to play the way they play the way they want to. And with Dallas, I mean, Joseph Randall, I think, is, is probably going to end up going to be the guy who gets the bulk of the carries for the Cowboys this season. But I think without a, a an absolute burner on the outside that they can, they can play a little bit better defensively. So I I'm with you. I think Philly wins mainly because one, they'll burn the city down if, if they don't, but two, I, I, I honestly believe the Eagles are better than they showed a week ago. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question, Brandon Browner. Okay. Was he worth the money? And out of this, let's say there's, Top 80 quarterbacks and cornerbacks in the league, so I'm going to include some nickel guys in there too. Where do you think he falls on that chart? Out of how many? 80. Ooh. I got him. I got him. I got him in the 50s. I was going to say probably in the 40s. I mean, it, 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 at this stage in his career, right? You, you Which asked me. Means then not only could he not cover Julio Jones, but he's going to have issues covering some of the average guys out there. The bigger question you have is. So Philly ultimately overpaid for a guy who was just the best at the position in a position that at the time was really weak in free agency. Didn't they do this like five years ago with Namdi Asamoah? Yep. So, I mean, it's par for the course. I, I'm, I'm not stunned. Oh, I'm not either. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is, is with this whole thing with Philadelphia and their secondary, if you have a used Seattle secondary player, odds are you should probably just stay away from him. Yes. I think that's a, that's a good plan. That's, because – you know, he's not Cam Chancellor, and he's not Richard Sherman, and if you have those two people next to me, I'm going to look like an all-star, too. Absolutely. Uh, other NFL games that we'll, uh, we'll be paying attention to this weekend, San Francisco at Pittsburgh. Uh, Niners looked competent, which is something I think when Jim Tomsula took over that many people didn't think was, was going to happen, but now they go to Pittsburgh. I think reality maybe sets in a bit here because uh, I think the Steelers are, are a much better team than, than San Francisco is, but with Carlos Hyde, and, and, and a re-inspired Vernon Davis, that, that, I mean, this this will be entertaining at least. Yeah, it will be. I, I like Pittsburgh in this game. Um, they're at home. You know, they've got – they had an extra four days versus uh, San Francisco to prep for this game. I, I think it'll show. You know, I think they now have the tape too that basically Tom Sula did what everyone else had wished Harbaugh would do, and he took the, he took the air out of the ball and refused to let Kaepernick throw the football. And I think he's kind of realized that Kaepernick had to take a step back and be more of a game manager, and then they'll bring him into being an elite quarterback because they're not sure he's got that type of talent yet. Houston going on the road to face Carolina with a new quarterback. Ryan Mallett gets the start. Brian Hoyer in his first pass as a Houston Texan threw an interception inside his own 20. Um, they dug themselves a hole against Kansas City that they that they almost climbed out of. But is, is Mallett going to be any different? You know what? It's the way that I would have gone. I think our last podcast, I really kind of just highlighted on the fact that, you know, if you if you want to give your team any shot, you go with Mallet because we know what horror can do. And horror is not a winner. So congratulations. You're at best seven and nine. Now with this, maybe you're eight and eight, nine and seven, ten and six. It it gives you a better opportunity, I think, with Mallet and just let him take the reins for the year and see what happens. No matter what, your worst case scenario is you're probably going to end up with Christian Hackenberg. Which Bill O'Brien is familiar with. Exactly. So, That's I mean, why I'm saying that, too. Hack it up for Hackenberg. We've, yep. we've, we've got the hashtag already. Um, by the way, the um, the fail for Cardale hashtag for the Browns, so good. So good. Um, 
And, and it's so Cleveland that out of all the quarterbacks <laughs> available, that's the one you want. Right. It's like, really? You want a guy who started four games in his college career? Yeah. You, you know, this is the Ohio. They believe Ohio State's like their own internal pipeline in Cleveland. Yet, I mean, there's not a lot of good professional Ohio State football players out there. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, like name Especially the last good Ohio guys. State quarterback. Um, Craig Krenzel. I was, I was, I was thinking, and I, yeah, he was the only name that came up with. Um, <laughs> NFC South is really bad, Jeff, and and it's already an elimination game in week two as Tampa goes to New Orleans. New Orleans looked okay um, in the loss to uh, to Arizona um, a week ago. This was, is one of my picks, by the way. Just ooh. so you, we know ahead of time. <laughs> oh, really? Um, New Orleans, though, without Jimmy Graham, totally different offense. They've tried to dedicate themselves to running the football more. It's just, it's just not. I mean, we saw this in Denver. It, this is not the offense that we're accustomed to seeing, and it's weird. It's just weird, man. No, I hear you. And, and it was a weird football game to watch versus Arizona. But the fun thing was, is I actually sat there and said after the end of the game, is I don't think Air, or New Orleans would have been in that game that late without changing their offense the way they did. This is true. Had they had they been the uh, the fun and gun that they used to be and just slinging the ball all the way around. It uh, could have been worse because I don't think they have a lot of a lot of offensive talent. I like Brandon Cooks, um, and and that's that's about it for uh, as far as weapons go. Uh, Jameis did not look spectacular in his opener. Threw a pick six on his first uh, first pass in the NFL. The only or the last player to do that though was Brett Favre. So if there's anything there, we can look forward to seeing pictures of Jameis Winston's penis in about 15 years. Sweet. I mean, hey, uh, Minnesota looked like garbage on Monday night, uh, at least offensively. They go home to face Detroit, and they've got some things to, to figure out. And, and, and I'll ask you, Jeff, is this just a, a case of Minnesota trying to figure out how to have Teddy Bridgewater and do the things that he does and use Adrian Peterson to the best of his ability? Because let's face it, that was the first time that offense had been on the field together because they didn't play together last year. They didn't play together in the offseason. Is this just a, a hurdle and, a, and, a, and a, a stumbling block, or is this really what Minnesota is? I think it's a hurdle and a stumbling block, but, you know, every year you get – and there's if you look back at the history of it, a lot of people who have good rookie seasons or they look like they're an up-and-coming team, they take a step back for a year and then they finally explode – I, I really I was kind of shocked. I know why they kept Adrian Peterson out of all the preseason, but they could have put him in for one or two series and let them get their timing down. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I think we saw it with St. Louis and Todd Gurley, too. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these guys who just sat their backs, they were having issues getting, um, you know, movement going and getting just, uh, I guess, a, a good, you know, set of motion going too. like they just couldn't get into a groove. So. For me, I personally feel it's a stumbling block, but this game's going to tell because if they go out and beat Detroit, I know they're back. If they have issues, this could be a long year for a lot of people in that organization. It's uh, and the fact they have a Super Bowl coming up. Um, I mean, there, there's not a lot of. And they, granted, they open a new stadium next year, so maybe that's the rallying cry for the Vikings going into 2016 if they were to lose uh, to Detroit on Sunday. Uh, your Bears host uh, host Arizona. I, I I don't know, Jeff. I, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you're a Bears fan. And Brandon, you haven't Brandon, smothered yourself with a pillow yet. 
I know everyone sits there and says, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe, you know, you're, you're still rooting for this team, blah, blah, blah. But you got to look at it this way. And I hate giving out participation medals, <laughs> but for all those people who paid attention to the, um, the bears game, uh, a while back, I mean, let's be honest when they played against the Packers last year, green Bay hung 42 up on them at half at half, you know, and the Bears were basically within a fourth quarter or halfway into the fourth quarter beating them. They still can't get pressure on the quarterback. Totally get that. Fangio, but Fangio had so different schemes. And also, Gase's offense confused Green Bay constantly. And not only that, but they were making in-game adjustments to keep them guessing. I mean, for me as a Bears fan, it really wasn't that bad of a deal. I mean, you lose to, lose to the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, and, and, you, and you don't lose by 20. I'm with you. There's no such thing as moral victories, but you got to at least feel better compared to where it was. I would have taken losing by 20 because they were losing by 40 at one point <laughs> exactly. last year. That's exactly remember, my point. New England and Green Bay hung back-to-back 50 burgers mm-hmm. up on them. Mm-hmm. That's so, not going to happen this year. No. Uh, Fangio's a beast, though. I, I really like what he's doing there. I wish I wish for, for Bears fans like yourself that they had more in the cupboard. Um, but I, I, I did, Would Peanut Tillman really mean that much to that team? No. I mean, it's it's not something that let's face it. Peanut Tillman hadn't played a full season in like three years. This is true. You know, he two years in a row he was lost by the second game. I mean, that has he has no impact on that team. Um, they they're just they're young and they're untalented in a lot of positions, and they're going to need to just take time to fix it. And the draft's going to fix it. Uh, really, the only way they can fix it is through the draft because Ryan Pace kind of doesn't want to overpay in three agent free agency. So when you're looking at this. You know, they'll probably – they need another cornerback. They need a, a, a pass-rushing defensive lineman. Um, they, they need a better linebacker. I mean, that entire defense needs to get fixed. That's why when you take a look at this and say, hey, Jay Cutler, you know, we're going to guarantee you $10 million next year, he's going to be on that team. You know, you could draft a quarterback, but I just don't see him wanting to say, yeah, we're going to take quarterback with a first-round draft pick. A, a guy that I really like that I think would fit Fangio's scheme really, really well – um, is actually, and he's going to be a top 10 draft pick, is uh, Jalen Smith out of Notre Dame. Oh, my goodness. That kid is an animal. The way I, I love the way he just gets off defender or he gets off blockers. I mean, he throws it, dudes aside and he has a nose for the football. But his speed is just so unreal. I mean, he could hold down the middle, he could hold down Easily. that outside linebacker position to be one of those rush linebackers in a 3 4 scheme for 10, 15 years. Yep. But, and also, too, I think he has the size to play in the middle if he goes to a, a 4 3. Yeah, you know, Notre Dame put him in the middle, and then he really didn't flourish like he did in his freshman year on the outside, and they moved him back to the outside this year, and I think he's just – he's so dangerous on the outside. Using that speed right, he would be like just a – I think he's a faster, stronger version of Clay Matthews. He's Jeff Lyons. I'm Brandon Rush. This is Three Point Stance Magazine previewing the weekend that is football, the NFL we're talking about now. Uh, two of my least favorite quarterbacks in the world will face off Sunday in Cincinnati as Phillip Rivers goes to the Natty to face Andy Dalton. I think you really, if you're watching this game, one of three things has happened. Um, you're a fan of either team, you're a degenerate, or you hate yourself. Yeah, and you know, I'm because I'm moving out to Cincinnati, I get to listen to a lot of their sports radio and everything, and someone made a point, and it's right. Cincinnati, realistically, with some of the injuries that have happened to like Suggs, the fact the Browns suck, the fact the Steelers kind of suck too. Um, they could run the table this year. They don't have that tough of a schedule. No. It's kind of funny when you look at it. And they were talking about that 
or they could go like some guy joked, oh, they'll go fifteen and one, and everyone would call and complain about the one. I'm like, yeah, but they won't win a playoff game, right? And, and I mean, when you really think about it, there's just they're not going to be playing a lot of tough teams. This is really their division to lose now with Suggs being gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought the Baltimore offense was so horrible. It kind of shows you why the Bears um, fired Mark Tressman. Um, you know, I just. The sad thing is, is that Cincinnati fans don't need to stop pounding their chest about how great their team is. Because as I told a couple of my friends down there, you know, Jay Cutler still has more playoff wins than Andy Dalton. Yeah, let that sink in. Yep. So. So uh, does TJ Yates. Oh gosh, there's there's a name you hadn't heard in a while. Yeah, I just you know I'm starting to throw names out that people are just like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, just start. Let's let's go through this. <laughs> Let, let's talk. Yeah. Do you really want to dive into this now, uh, Tim Tebow? Um. He has more playoff wins than Andy Dalton. Speaking of playoff wins, uh, neither one of these teams will have any this year, so this may be their uh, their Super Bowl. Johnny Manziel getting the start for Cleveland against Marcus Mariota. I'll tell you, Mariota looks looked pretty good. Granted, I don't know if that's just the, you know a flash in the pan. Um, Tennessee has an opportunity here to to at least build on 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 a solid foundation with Wizen Hunt and Mariota. Cleveland, on the other hand, goodness gracious. I'm, I'll give it up to the Browns for not firing their head coach for like at least the last week, which is very unbrownsy of them um, because they've had how many head coaches in the last six years? They've had how many quarterbacks in the last six years? Maybe this is the combination that gets it done. Petten and, and Manziel. I don't know, but I think they'll be competitive. I mean, first off, Johnny, stop carrying the football around like it's a freaking loaf of bread. What the hell is wrong with you? I mean, you know, he got a bunch of fumbles negated by penalties. And that's what's crazy on the whole thing. Like, he played horribly. You know, except for the one pass that he threw where, I mean, again, I think you could have completed it with how wide open he was. It it just, I can't buy into it. I think this is ultimately going to have Brown sitting there asking McCown how bad his head is. But that goes on Josh McCown, too. Slide, dude. You know, it's game one. I get that you want to prove to your team that you're ready to play, but if you had slid, we wouldn't be talking about any of this. You're not Elway. You can't you can't pull off the helicopter move. Right, and, and, and not only can you not pull it off, but next time try to do it closer to the end zone rather than, you know, three yards out. And and not to go all-fashioned police on us, but my God, those Browns uniforms are hideous. Yep. Absolutely hideous. Um, also, speaking of bad, the Washington Redskins, they have their home opener against St. Louis. Kirk Cousins, not the answer. Um, granted, neither is RG3, apparently. St. Louis, though, solid win, and they need this win more than probably any other team in the NFL this week, Jeff, because they need to prove that last week was not a fluke. Oh, yeah. If they lose this game, it, they become a joke. So it, it pains me that I really thought Washington could have been the surprise team this year. It pains me that this is the way it's gone. But the funny thing is I really think they're not cutting RG3 because they don't want Chip Kelly to get a hold of them. <laughs> That's that may be a, that may be a very valid point. That may be very very true. I mean, because honestly, what's Chip Kelly got, you know, with the fact that he let go of everybody, you got to be looking at the fact that Chip Kelly needs a third string quarterback. RG3 easily fits that. He'd give him time to heal and then he's going to be running the read option which made him successful in um Baylor. Think about this though. You have a Heisman winner in Sam Bradford. You'd then have a Heisman winner in RG3 and then Mark Sanchez, who was a finalist. Yep. I mean, that's I mean, that's something. But when was the last time a Heisman winner won a, won 
let's let's go this far. I mean, is Tebow's the last uh, um, Heisman winner to win a playoff game? Who was the last Heisman winner to win a Super Bowl? Wow, and I don't even know that. I'll just I'll just throw that out there. Um, Heisman quarterback. Heisman quarterback. Yes, let's let's go there. Um, Atlanta, New York. I the Giants. I I was screaming at the television. I'm sure was about eighty percent of the country Sunday night. Atlanta looked okay. I mean, I I, I want to be I want to be optimistic as a Falcons fan. Um, I, I liked what I've what I've seen from Dan Quinn uh, thus far. From an attitude standpoint, he's changed the uh, the perception at least in that building um, of how they want to play. That said, that Atlanta defense doesn't have anywhere near good enough players to be what he what he wants or what he had in Seattle. Um, this, though, a huge opportunity because Matt Ryan on the road typically doesn't have spectacular numbers, um, but against a, a giant secondary that got that got beat up by Tony Romo late in that game, and the way Julio Jones is playing, we saw the success that that they had a week ago. I'm wondering if they can replicate that in the Meadowlands this week. I, you know, I saw, I saw the Swami, and he said that he was going with the Giants. I think the Giants quit. I really just don't see where the Giants are going to suck up and get this done. You know, they're too busy still fighting with Jason Pierre-Paul more than anything else. By the way, did you have you seen the pictures of his mangle? Yep. Oh, boy. I mean, you know it was bad, but, I mean, he still has a, uh, like Jimmy Fallon, he's still got a thing on his finger, on his middle finger. Um, the the tip of the thumb is gone and the index finger completely gone. I mean, that's 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 much worse than we were initially led to believe, and, and even the Giants were led to believe at that. So it's that's a that's a that's a bad deal. Well, the crazy thing on it though is if he didn't have the thumb issue, I'd say seat him up and let's play. But you know, you really need the thumb in order to grab someone, yep. and that's where he's going to have the issues. He's going to have to prove that he can grab stuff, and that's great that he's out there. You know, showing training videos of himself running in a sled, but that doesn't ultimately get you paid, bro. Uh, In a game that no one outside the state of Florida will be watching, Miami goes to Jacksonville. Um, Miami should win. I, I, I don't even. I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you a reasonable expectation or why you should be watching this. Well, I'm not a kindergartner, and I thought Blake Bortles sucked this past week. So, I, I like, I like Gus Bradley. I like, I like Bortles. I think if they had some, some receivers to throw to. That I mean, hey, if Justin Blackman wasn't an idiot, maybe this would be a different story. But well, and if Julius Thomas wasn't hurt, you know, yeah, that too, that too. Um, so yeah, Miami should roll that game. Uh, Baltimore goes to Oakland with a, with a lot of question marks. Terrell Suggs, as you mentioned, out with uh, with an Achilles. Derek Carr got banged up in the uh, in the loss in in, in week one. Uh, that Ravens offense did not look spectacular at all. Um, and granted, maybe that's because Denver's defense was was that good. So, and the the whole week one to week two scenario is is definitely a play for both these teams here. Oh yeah, and I mean the biggest thing is, I just can't take the Raiders yet. It it should be a Baltimore win. It should be like their easy win, but we'll see. Marquee game on Sunday, and it's got a lot of press. New England at Buffalo. Um, obviously Rex against Belichick is always going to be a story. Buffalo is, has kind of had new England's number over the past few years. Not that they're, you know, world beaters or anything, but they always, it seems like every year they get new England at least once. Now you put Rex and Buffalo together coupled off the way the bills looked a week ago and upsetting the Colts. New England could be, uh, could be in an interesting spot here. Yeah. And 
I guess my big issue behind it is that Buffalo's sitting there in the game and their fans are chanting, we want Brady. Really? Haven't you learned your lesson on that stuff yet? Let's just aggravate Tom a little bit more and see what happens. Yeah, that's worked Makes so well. Me. That's worked so well for so many teams before. Yep. And by the way, you know, screw you. I broke the rules, so you, or you broke the rules, so I'm breaking the rules. I don't know if you saw the South Park or not, but it was quality. I, I've heard. It, I've heard it's been genius. I, I have it recorded, and I still haven't got to uh, got to watch it yet. They uh, basically pants the NFL Brady and Belichick in a 30 second span. <sighs> and it's one of those that you're like, it, it makes. When people sit there and say, I really don't understand what he did or why this is a big deal, they kind of explain it right away. <laughs> okay. I'll have to I'll have to watch it, and I'll report next week. Uh, Monday night, boy, the Colts, they got embarrassed last week. And I, I honestly thought that that they would go into Buffalo and, and, and do what they wanted to. They had no offensive cohesion in that game. Um, now they return home against the Jets team, which defensively is, is pretty – you know, is, is good. I would say above average. Um, you hate to say a must win game in week two. Um, but I mean, granted Indy's not in danger of missing the playoffs because their division is garbage, but Oh, and two with a loss at Buffalo and then a loss at home on Monday night against the jets. That's not a recipe for success. Yeah. The only thing that helps Indy out is the jets offense is still horrible. You know, you can say whatever you want, but you beat Cleveland. Let's let's not let's not jump around yet. So I just feel that Indy will be able to score enough that they won't have to worry about their defense and they'll get it done. All right. So it's uh, it's come to the time to where we will dive into our trifecta picks contest. Here's how it works. Every week, listeners and readers from around the country submit their three games. We pick one of those entries at random. To go up against Jeff and myself, you must beat Jeff and myself to win three entries into our end-of-the-year contest. What is our end-of-the-year prize? How about a $250 bet on Super Bowl 50? Absolutely free, courtesy of Three Points Dance Magazine. That wins, hey, you you win money. Um, so, to, uh, to earn entries this week, you have to beat Jeff or myself. Brian has submitted entries, and um, I have my picks. Jeff, you have your three? I'm set and good to go. All right. So Brian has uh, has weighed in, um, and he has one of the same games I do, and that kind of makes me mad. Uh, but uh, he's going with uh, UT San Antonio as his first pick, plus the points at Oklahoma State. He's taking the Detroit Lions for his second pick, plus the three, as they uh, play at uh, at Minnesota. And his final pick is the Tennessee Titans against Cleveland. So an interesting little uh, little trifecta there from uh, from Brian. So uh, we'll see if if uh, if he can uh, can beat us uh, in the uh, in the contest. If he beats one of us, one entry into the end of the year drawing. If he beats both of us, three entries into the end of the year drawing. Jeff, I'm going to take. Uh, I'm also taking Tennessee, which now that Brian has it, kind of kind of concerns me. Um, I'm taking Tulsa plus the thirty against Oklahoma. I got this feeling that Oklahoma off that big win going to be a little bit sluggish and Tulsa with that air raid offense, they can score. I don't know if they can stop anybody, but they can score. Um, and I'm going to take Georgia tech minus the two and a half at Notre Dame. Okay. For me, my three games, I am taking air force plus the 24 and a half. I am taking the over 64 Illinois, North Carolina. I mean, Illinois is going to score with your buddy Wes. West Lunt and 
North Carolina is going to score. The problem is, is you know, what's they the final score going to be? They aren't stopping it. Yeah, that game yeah. could easily be in the 51 to 50. And as I highlighted, I am taking the Saints minus 10. Now, I know the Buccaneers always show up in New Orleans and play them tough. But I just think Jameis Winston is going to get exposed to a, you know, Rob Ryan defense that will be blitzing from every different angle humanly possible. And I don't think he's ready yet to pick the Saints apart. And I think that home opener is going to be jacked up. I think that Lovey Smith is still in over his head in Tampa Bay. And if things continue out there, I'm not sure he makes it through the year. I'm going taking the Saints minus the 10. So there you have it. There's Those are our picks for our uh, Trifecta Picks Contest, uh, an opportunity to win a $250 bet on Super Bowl 50 on the line for one lucky picker. Jeff, final thoughts before we get out of here for week number three. Yeah, we're week three, man. You know, second week of pro, third week of college. It's getting heated up, and I think you're going to start seeing a lot of teams separating themselves just by the force of the schedule. You know, like what you highlighted, Georgia, if they can win versus South Carolina, now they're going to be legit and we're going to have a real good conversation about them. LSU, Auburn's going to settle a lot. Ole Miss, Alabama, it's heavy F- SEC focus. You know, another one, too, that is is out there is, think about this, Illinois and Northwestern, if they win today, could be 3-0. and hmm. Northwestern, yeah, okay, we could see the 3-0, and but who would have thought they would have beat Stanford? Illinois, after firing their coach, less than five days before the kickoff of the season, you know, is three and zero would be huge. I don't think it can happen. I think the ACC checks the big 10, the lower levels. And if that happens, then you got to go back to the discussion of how good is the big 10 really. And should there, we even have a discussion that the loser of the Ohio state Michigan state game would be allowed in the playoff. A lot of questions to be answered, and we'll see how it all shakes out here this weekend. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week uh, recapping this week's action and setting the table for uh, the final week of September. It's hard to believe that we're already plowing through this puppy already. Uh, For Jeff Lyons, I'm Brandon Rush. Don't forget 3psmag.com, at 3psmag on Twitter, and uh, join in on the fun that uh, that is Three Point Stance Magazine. We appreciate you uh, tuning in. Enjoy the games this weekend. You've been listening to Three Point Stance Magazine. This has been Three Point Stance Magazine.